this morning. Now, if you're new to us, uh, maybe you're just joining us for the first time, whether here or online, um, I normally preach straight through books of the Bible in an expository fashion, but for a few weeks here at the beginning of 2023, we're covering the mission and vision of Hope Bible Fellowship, the whys, the hows of what we're doing here at Hope. And so last week, I talked about our mission as a church and kind of gave a general overview. And what I said was this statement, and we've got it up here for you. The mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by gathering together growing deep and going wide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we boiled down our mission, our vision, our process for how we're going to accomplish that mission to these three words that are actually right in there, gather, grow, and go. Specifically, gather together, grow wide, and go, or grow deep and go wide. Sorry, tripped up on my own, uh, my own message. But I also talked about how we have certain values that drive us and move us to action. We're going to be a gospel-driven church, and all of this comes down from our commitment to the gospel. And today, what we're going to cover is the, the gather together portion of that statement. Because I said this is not just our mission statement, but it also in it gives us a, a, a vision or a process by which we accomplish that. That we get people to gather together, grow deep and go wide. And we can, we talked about how we can sort of measure where each other are at in that process, because we said it's really hard to measure spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Uh, There's not like a metric for that, right? Like I can tell you how many people are in a room at a given time because I can count. Like that's a metric I can measure. It's harder to measure where someone's at spiritually. And the number one indicator they say is, is, is people's engagement with scripture. Um, Okay. How do you measure that? You know, okay, well, they're involved in scripture every day. So this gives us uh, a way that we can sort of walk people through a process by when they come and begin to gather with us, that we can get them involved in growing deeper and then going wide and doing ministry. And it's kind of a, a process to walk people through. Today, specifically, though, we're going to talk about gathering, why we gather, when we gather, what happens when we gather. This is the gather portion, specifically when we gather for worship. Why is it that gather is the first step in the process? Why is grow not first? Why is there not something else first? Why is gather the first step in that process and that vision of how we make disciples? Well, a famous pastor once suggested, and I think he's right on this, that many who gather here on a Sunday morning possibly grew up in churches with a very shallow view of the significance of what is happening right now in this hour and 30 minutes or so. When the people of God gather, he is there among them. And we sing wonderful truths of scripture to God and to one another. And a man opens the word of God and exposes the meaning of the text and shows us truths of the gospel therein and calls us to respond with faith and to repent and believe. And many of us grew up in churches, maybe, that did not have as significant of a view of what goes on during this time. That the creator of the universe is here. That the God who is holy and just and also love is here. That there is just as much of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ here among us as there is in the church down the street that way or down the street that way or across town or in Texas or in Cambodia. That when we gather, it is the family of God, the children of God gathering to worship his name and he is there among them. And it is a significant event. And too many times we treat it a little lackadaisically. And I talked about that a lot when we were going through Hebrews and we got to Hebrews chapter 10 and we talked about not neglecting the gathering of the saints. Like that was, that was a big part of that. But this morning we're going to look, in order to get into this, why we gather, what we do when we gather, we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, because what I want to do is begin by looking at what the early church in the book of Acts, what they did, like what was it? Because they, boom, they had a, like, they went from not as many people to 
a bunch of people in that church. And so what did they do? What was it they did? Now, not in order to get the bunch of people, because that happened by the plan and power of God, okay? But what did they do now that they have these people gathering together? So let's look at it. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to bless it this morning. God, as we come to your word, I pray that you would help us to understand what you want from us. And God, as you point that out in our hearts, I pray that we would not resist, but that we would obey. That we would surrender to your will as more important than our own, and your desires more important than our own. Not put our preferences above yours, Jesus. But God, I pray that you would just move us. Help us truly take you at your word and believe what you have said. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. So first, some context about this passage. Because a lot of times we read the early church and we sort of, um, maybe not idolize, but we definitely have a very high view of the early church and we think we want our church to be like that. Uh, Those are the things we want to be about. But I want to give some context to it. So this was... 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ. So Jesus has been resurrected. They've seen Jesus ascend into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter starts preaching on Pentecost. And as Peter is preaching, and you can read it in the verses prior, as Peter is preaching the gospel on Pentecost, 3,000 people become Christians. So they go from a relatively small number to mega church, just like that, okay? That happened here. We had to blow the walls out or something. I don't know where people would park, right? Um, 3,000 people in one day. Now, the point is not, the point that I'm trying to get at is not this excitement that 3,000 people. I want to look at what characterized that first church. So Peter had preached, all these people came to know Christ, and then, boom, we get into verse 42, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what, what's characterized them? Well, first of all, they loved God's word. They loved God's word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They loved God's word, and they loved each other, even to the point that they were willing to sacrifice their belongings for each other. Oh, you don't have enough food? Let me go sell my iPhone to buy you food. Like, I mean, that's just, obviously they didn't have iPhones back then, right? But they were sacrificing their belongings for each other. They praised God and shared the good news with others. How do we know they shared the good news? Well, every day, God added people who were being saved. So they were talking about the gospel. Now, if I say, would we like to see all of that here at Hope? We'd all say, absolutely, we all want to see that here at Hope. And as often the case, the exciting fruit that we see from what they did is supported by some important things underneath. They gathered together regularly. They lived life together in intentional relationships. So these are on-purpose relationships that I talked about last week a little bit. They met in homes. They shared with each other. They enjoyed and supported the leadership that God had given them. In this case, it's the apostles. So they, they enjoyed that leadership. They supported the leadership that God gave them. And then fourth, they spent time together in prayer, which we just did a little bit ago. They spent time together in prayer. So those are the, uh, the things that undergird what we see here. So 
the question that I want to do, what I want to do is I kind of want to walk around this idea of walk right through of who gather, or excuse me, of why we gather, when we gather, by asking those questions, who gathers? What do we do when we gather? What are the outcomes that we hope to see when we gather? Okay, and that's kind of just to give you kind of the logical path for how I want to walk through this. First of all, who gathers? Who gathers when we say gather together? It's the church, those who have been bought by their, uh, bought by Christ out of their sin, by the blood of Christ on the cross. Now, according to Scripture, the main purpose of the Lord's Day gathering, so the main purpose of Sunday morning gathering, is not evangelism, but edification. Ultimately, what we do here on Sunday mornings is primarily, that means firstly, it's for the gathered children of God to glorify and honor his name, being edified and built up. Now, we always do that with what the Bible calls the outsider in mind. You'll hear this in my preaching. Sometimes I will speak specifically to those in the seats who may not know Jesus or may not know what I'm talking about because of their background. I'll say things like, you may know this, you may not know this because of how you grew up. Or I'll say, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to think about this. We still do it with those folks in mind, with the idea that there may be those who don't know Christ among us. But the the primary gathering is for the saints of God to gather and glorify him and worship him. Sunday morning is the main feeding time. It's when the trough is filled. It's the main feeding time. Worship is a response to revelation. So this is where the meatiest expository material is served, is on Sunday morning. As such, the main gathering should not be set up based on the preferences of unbelievers or what they will find attractive, but instead should be set up and calibrated to the parameters that are given us in Scripture for the edification of believers. The sermon, which we'll get into more detail later on, should be an exposition of Scripture. I understand that what I'm doing this morning is not that because I'm walking through where we get our vision and mission from. But the sermon should be an exposition of Scripture. But since all Scripture is about Jesus, the preacher should expose the good news of the gospel and its implications in the passage. Now, this kind of preaching, this kind of preaching will encourage other people to bring their unbelieving friends to service with them because they know that if they bring their unbelieving friend with them to church, they will hear the gospel presented clearly and in relation to whatever passage is being preached on a given Sunday. And I surely hope I do that. That is my goal. I once heard a pastor say that the reason worship doesn't happen on Sunday morning is because it isn't happening on Monday. In other words, the reason that some of us don't worship on Sunday is because we haven't been practicing personal worship in our personal lives the rest of the week. If this is, this is the main feeding time, but if this is the only time you're with God throughout the week, it's not enough. We need to be worshiping individually, spending time in prayer and the word as we deepen our own personal discipleship. So that's who gathers. Now, why do we gather? What's the purpose in us gathering, okay? Well, number one, it's worship. It's for worship. Worship is not music, okay? We do sing in worship, for sure. We're going to talk about that, but music itself is not what worship is. Worship is understanding who God is and valuing God's worth rightly. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to worship, okay? Non-Christians don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Therefore, those who are not followers of Christ cannot worship because the Holy Spirit enables us to worship. The word worship meant worth-ship. We are ascribing worth to the object or person who is being worshipped. It is treasuring God above all things. John Piper puts it, to know him truly and treasure him duly. To know him truly and treasure him duly. We're giving him what he deserves, what he is worth, which is everything and so much more. We're holding nothing back. We worship through acts of the mouth. So we worship through songs, through confession of sin, through praying, through repenting, 
So worship through acts of the mouth and through acts of love. These show God's value to us, his supreme value, in that we're willing to sacrifice for others, like we saw in the early church. They were selling their possessions to provide for others. It showed God's supreme value to them above whatever material thing they were getting rid of to provide for their brothers and sisters. So we come and gather for worship. Second, we gather for obedience to God's commands because God said that we should not neglect gathering together and worshiping. We're supposed to worship God. We're supposed to do it with the congregation. And so in obedience to God's commands, we come. Third, we, we come and gather because Christ has paid a price for us. We gather together in worship because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us on the cross. Because Jesus, God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, a perfect life of worship, by the way, and gave that life on the cross in our place for our sin and exchanges, takes our sin upon himself on the cross, gives us his right standing before God. And he died in our place for our sins. And three days later rose from the grave. And because of the price that Christ has paid for us, we gather and worship him because he is worthy of that worship. And then fourth, we gather because of what we have in Christ, namely a family. So Jesus adopts us into his family by his blood on the cross and gives us a family. If you are a Christian, if you have come to know Christ, if you repent of your sin and believe the good news of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us you got the Holy Spirit indwelling you, that you've been adopted to the family of God, and I am your crazy brother. So we gather together because we have family in Christ. That's the fourth, the fourth reason. We're a family, and we're dysfunctional, for sure, here, because we are imperfect sinners brought in to the family of God, and we mess up, but we gather together because Christ has brought us into his family. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our whole life should be a display of the worth of God. Worship was one of the purposes of redemption. God saved a people, the church, to be his worshipers. And God shows his value and worth on the cross and the empty tomb. Many times in the book of Exodus, if you go through the book of Exodus chapters 3 through 10, corporate worship is pointed to as a purpose, as the purpose of redemption. There he was redeeming a people for himself, Israel. But in Christ, he has redeemed a people for himself, the church. So what happens when we gather? When we gather together, what goes on? Like, what do we do, number one, but also what are the things that are happening that we don't necessarily think about? Well, first of all, when do we gather? Well, we're doing it right now. This is our main worship service on a Sunday morning. We sing the gospel. We're led in prayer. Hopefully the basic storyline of the gospel is followed throughout the service, God's goodness, our sin, Christ's mercy, or God's mercy in Christ, and then our response. We hear God's word read. We hear the word preached. We celebrate baptisms in the Lord's Supper. We also gather at other times. We gather for members' meetings. AJ talked about it. We're going to gather on the 29th. We're going to have a meal, and we're going to talk about the business of the church. Members' meetings are for members only. It's when we discuss the business of the church, get reports on ministries, updates on finances, where we vote members in. If need be, that's where we would deal with the final step in a process of church discipline, if needed, are in members' meetings. We also gather together in smaller groups. So this is your plug for life groups this Wednesday, 6.30. We're going to start up here at the building. The plan moving forward, we're going to meet together as a larger group for a few weeks. And then we'll divide out into a couple of different homes for our groups. So when we gather, how do we decide 
what we're going to allow during the worship service. Like, how do we decide that we're not going to have a monkey on a unicycle juggling flaming bowling pins ride through here on Sunday morning? Like, how do we make those kind of decisions? Well, there's a principle, there's a couple of principles that the church has used for years. There is the regulative principle and the normative principle. This gets kind of heady and scholarly, so I'm going to get through this really quick, okay? Because it may get kind of boring. But uh, Mark Dever explains it this way. The normative principle says that as long as a practice is not biblically forbidden, a church is free to use it in its corporate life and worship. But in short, the regulative principle forbids anything that is not commanded by Scripture, whereas the normative principle allows anything that's not forbidden by Scripture. For our purposes today, we're going to stick primarily with those things that are either directly commanded or implied in Scripture. In other words, we're going to sort of ride more on that regulative side. I tend to kind of ride in the middle somewhere on that myself, and so that's kind of what we're going to do. D.A. Carson notes this about those two principles, though, and I I wanted to tell you this because it's important. Theologically rich and serious services from both camps often have more common content than either side usually acknowledges. Doesn't that just sound like the truth about most things (laughs) when there's a disagreement? Carson goes on to observe, there is no single passage in the New Testament that establishes a paradigm for corporate worship. So there's not one single passage that says, do this and this and this and this, okay? Uh, So we've got to look at the whole of Scripture to decide what it is we're going to do and allow during a worship service. If, as I said earlier, corporate worship is the purpose of redemption, then it just makes sense that God would reveal to his redeemed people how he desires that they worship him when they gather for this purpose. God cares about how we worship him. I don't know if you knew that, but he actually cares in what way we worship him when we gather together. God cared about worship in the Old Testament. Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. God doesn't just care that his people worship him, but he cares how they do it. And God forbids certain kind of worship even if it's directed at him. God forbids that we were to... If we were to make a statue of what we think Jesus looked like, put it up here and worship that, that's forbidden. Like that's not something we would do. That'd be breaking the second commandment. God cares how his people worship. He cared in the Old Testament. God also cared how people worshiped in the New Testament. John chapter 4, 19 through 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Piper said, For Jesus, worship amounts to zero if there is no heart behind it. Worship amounts to zero if there's no heart behind it. We must worship in spirit and in truth. So sincerity is essential, but just being sincere is not enough. We also have to be true. Heart and truth. Spirit and truth. We shouldn't get this lopsided, and we see a lot of places that get it lopsided on one way or the other. They're like really, really heavy on worshiping in spirit, and it goes into, it gets into sometimes a lot of emotion and a lot of touchy-feely. And then other sides, it's heavy heavy on the truth and low on the other side. And so then it almost becomes like, all like law and and no sincerity of heart behind it that doesn't mean they're not sincere but that's what it you know and so it gets lopsided so what we want to do is we want to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth so if we want to apply the regulative principle that we've looked at and what scripture specifically warrants be done in the worship service this gives us 
a good place to start in our understanding of why we do what we do and what we ought to do on a Sunday morning when we gather together. And this is what we want everybody, all of our members, and eventually people who come into the church and become members to be about on Sunday morning. So what's the first thing we do? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, we read the Bible. Read the Bible. By the way, these are mostly going to have to do with the Bible, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. The Bible was regularly read aloud in gatherings in Bible times. It is powerful. It's the Word of God. It is powerful even when the person reading it doesn't try to explain it. So sometimes there's just Scripture being read. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Jeremiah 23.29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then back in Hebrews, which we just came through, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we make time in our service for the reading of Scripture without any comments, we make a statement about the high value that we place on God's Word. So sometimes when I come up to do pastoral prayer, I'll just read a passage of Scripture and not expound upon it because we place a high value on God's Word. We are eager. Are we, when we come on Sunday morning, are we eager? and excited to hear the word of God? Do we desire the word? See, it admits that the power of God's word is what our lives and the life of our church and our growth are dependent upon. When we read the word aloud, it acknowledges our weakness. It says we're ready to listen to what God has said. We're willing to sit under it and let it evaluate us. The uh, New Living Translation in its first edition, in that verse in Hebrews 4.12 The way it words it, when it talks about the Bible, it says, it exposes us for what we really are. And I just love that phrasing of it. Because the word of God exposes us. It it says, it evaluates us, it exposes, it shows us what we really are. When we sit under the reading of the word, it says we are willing to agree with the way it presents reality and submit to its verdict and judgment on us without any qualification on our part. That means to give no caveats to it. One author asks this, if we are saying all of this through our public reading of Scripture, then what are we saying if we neglect the public reading of Scripture? Those sort of reverse questions always get me. So we read the Bible when we gather together. Two, we preach the Bible. So we read the Bible. We preach the Bible. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching is the method that God has ordained whereby the gospel is communicated to sinners. So again, the local church is God's plan A for reaching the world. There is no plan B. Okay, that's it. That's the plan. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's my belief that the regular diet of the local church should be expository preaching through books of the Bible. The regular diet. That means the majority of what happens in the preaching time on a Sunday morning. The preaching should give the point of the passage being covered or exposed. That's expository, right? It's opening the word of God, reading the passage, 
telling what the passage means and applying the passage to the lives of the hearers. It should also connect with what Dever calls its gospel moorings so that we can see how it interacts and intersects with the gospel as the full counsel of God. Our church, so our church hope, needs a regular diet of preaching that presents the gospel and all of its implications as natural to understanding any passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. People need the meat and solid food of deep scriptural exposition to help them grow in their sanctification, to help them grow more like Jesus. The Bible ultimately is all about Jesus, and our preaching should be done with that in mind. Luke twenty four twenty seven. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, that's Jesus showing us that all of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is all about him. We should preach with gospel-colored glasses. We should preach the gospel as we preach the point of the passage, and we should address both believers and unbelievers with the truth, power, and implications of the gospel. So we preach the Bible. Third, I don't know if you're seeing a pattern here. We read the Bible, we preach the Bible. Third, we pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pastors are commanded to lead their congregations in public prayer. This was the conviction that I had behind why we started over a year ago now, I think, doing a pastoral prayer during our service. Scripture teaches us how to pray. And praying in the gathering tells God that we want to approach him on his terms, the way that he wants, not on our own, or not the way our preferences fall. It acknowledges our need before God, that we cannot do any of this without him, that we need his power. Because if we don't have him and his power, why, why are we doing this? If it's just on our own and of our own strength, that'll fail. So we pray the Bible. Fourth, we sing the Bible. Worship is edifying. Jesus uses his word to build the church. So it makes sense for us only to sing songs that use his word accurately as well as generously. Using songs that are unclear or confusing is not helpful. It's not preferred. So sometimes there's songs that I hear that get really popular on like Christian radio. And I generally hear about them later. And I hear the song or I see the lyrics to the song and it's a little unclear little unclear or it's maybe confusing then I don't think those are helpful songs for us to sing songs edify the church when they contain accurately applied scriptural theology which the word because the word of God builds the church this is not to be just simply led into an emotional experience you can get that at the movies you can get that at a rock concert we want to worship we want to worship in spirit and in truth. And we don't want it to simply be an emotional experience. Sure, emotions are a part of it. Of course, God gave us emotions. They're not bad. Unless we decide that we're going to live our life completely following them. So it's not simply and only being led into an emotional experience. The best songs that direct are those that direct our attention away from ourselves and focus it squarely on Jesus and the gospel. That's how we sing the Bible. And then five, we see the Bible. Pastor, what are you talking about? Of course I see the Bible. It's right here on my phone or it's right here in my lap. That's not what I'm talking about. The ordinance is baptism and the Lord's Supper. According to Dever, he uses the word dramatic. 
And he's right. They're dramatic presentations of the gospel. It's like a moving picture that's physically representing the spiritual realities of the gospel. In uh, Luke twenty-two nineteen, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which, I have gi- which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is a visual reminder of the cross work of Jesus. And baptism, as an ordinance, is a visual uh, a playing out of the gospel that we are dying to sin and raised to new life in Christ. It's a visual picture of that. Now, there's nothing salvific about it, okay? That's, it's a symbol that we have of what has happened internally, that we have repented of sin and believed the gospel of Jesus, that we're dead to sin and raised to new life in Christ. And so that baptism is an, a, an outward symbol of what has happened internally in our lives. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, taking great care, taking great care to be faithful with the administration of these ordinances will help protect the church. It helps prevent false conversions and unregenerate, excuse me, Tripping over my words. It helps protect against false conversions and unregenerate church membership when we, when we are careful with how we present the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So all this is great. We're going we're gonna to read the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to see the Bible. We're going to sing the Bible. We're going to pray the Bible. But what is the outcome of our gathering? What are we looking to have happen. That's what we do. Okay, that's what guides what we do. But what's the outcome of it? Why is it the first part of our discipleship process? Well, first of all, it's the first step because before we can grow or go, we must become a worshiper of Jesus. In order to grow in Christ and to go do ministry for Christ, someone first must be a worshiper of Christ. God's children worship him. And our prioritization of this gathering together will affect all of the other elements in our process. So what are those desired outcomes? Well, if you're one of those type of people that likes to have a desired outcomes, here's what they are. For all church members to increasingly value and prioritize gathering to worship together on the Lord's day. In other words, for everyone who's a member of hope to continually increase by valuing and prioritizing the gathering of worship together on the Lord's day. In other words, put a priority on this day, block it off on your calendar. Sunday is when I go to church. I don't work. I don't go to the lake on that morning. I go to church. Second, for all church members to increasingly be valuing and practicing times of personal worship during the week at home. Remember I said a lot of times when worship doesn't happen on Sunday mornings, it's because it's not happening on Monday at home. So we want not just people to value and prioritize worship together here, but also personally in their own lives at home. Third, for our worship times to be God-honoring, to be genuine, sincere, as well as theologically accurate. That's a good goal, right? No, the thing about these is no one would say, no, we don't want to do that. Um, but it's the point where we actually are, face the challenge of, will I do that? And fourth, for church members to understand that we rely on the power of God, his word, and prayer for the building of his church, and not on our own ideas and strength. For us to all understand that Jesus meant it when he said, I will build my church that it's up to him and that we must rely on the power of God, his word and prayer for that building of the church and not on our own ideas and strategy and strength. I don't know if you've caught this yet, but the things I'm saying, like our whole mission statement, everything, it's basically, we just took the great commission and just kind of restated it for today. So 
I want to head towards tying the bow on this at the end by asking this question. How can you or how can I be more involved in the gathering together part of the mission and vision of hope? How can I be more involved? How can you be more involved in gathering? Well, number one, number one, it's real complicated, okay? Show up. Show up. That's show up. Don't skip church. You don't have anything better to do. Whatever you got, it will wait. Okay? Now, I understand some people are providentially hindered, okay? Some people, like, if you break your back and you're laying in a hospital bed, I understand you're not going to be at church on Sunday. I get it, okay? But most of the things that we come up with to do on Sunday mornings could be done after 11 o'clock. Most of them. Prioritize the Sunday morning gathering. So show up. And number two, be present. Now wait a second, pastor. You said show up and being present is being something. That's showing up. That's not what I mean. Show up and be present. Being present is different than just showing up. It's being engaged in what's actually going on. You can be at home at the dinner table with your family and not be present with them. Your mind can be elsewhere. You can have your phone out. We have a no phones at the table rule. Occasionally, I'm just saying, I've broken that rule. But you don't look at your phone at the table. The idea is to be present, to not be physically there and mentally or spiritually somewhere else. So show up at church and be present. Here's what we take part in when we gather, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Here's what we take part in when we gather for worship on Sunday morning. And if we're not present, I don't mean, I mean, if we don't show up and we're not present in here, actively engaged in what's going on, then we'll miss out on these things. But here's what, here's what happens. God's primary design for your spiritual growth and well-being is to be part of a local church, to be here on Sunday morning, gathered, hearing the word proclaimed. That's the primary design, that main feeding time. It's your primary design for spiritual growth and well-being. Secondly, in gathering together, you obey what God has told his people to do. That's pretty great. Third, by gathering together, it tells the world that God is worthy of worship. The world looks at you. Why do you go to that place on Sunday morning? Well, it tells the world because God is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my two hours, hour and a half, whatever, on a Sunday morning. Fourth, you get the opportunity to minister to others. When we're here, we're ministering to others. I don't know how many times in the last two and a half years I've been standing here after church and two ladies are talking about their lives and, and one's sharing with another one. Two guys are over here talking and talking about things. Someone's crying and two other people are, are, are hugging on them and praying with them. When we're not here, we miss out on that opportunity to minister to other people. And fifth and finally, you know what happens on Sunday morning when we gather? We get a foretaste of heaven. We get a foretaste of heaven. See, it's people from all different walks of life, from all around here, come here on a Sunday morning and gather together. And for a lot of us, the only thing we have in common is Jesus. And one day, those who've trusted in Christ who believe the gospel, repent of their sins, will live in eternity with him, worshiping him. With a bunch of people from all over, all eras of time, and nations and ethnicities. And the thing we will have in common is Jesus. And when we don't prioritize the gather together, we miss out on that foretaste of heaven.
See, this list of things that happen when we gather together is also a list of things we miss out on when we don't prioritize that. So that's why, that's why it's first in our process, gather, grow, go. Gather together, grow deep, and go wide. Because before we can grow deep in Christ, before we can uh, go for Christ, we need to be worshipers of Christ. Would you stand and pray with me? I'm going to have Matt make his way to the front here. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Um, Gather, grow, go. I want you to, as we're singing, as the words of the song are washing over us, I want you to think about where you're at in that. Is that gathering together a priority for you? And this is not, please, I hope what you don't hear is the pastor's upset that, that sometimes people don't come to church, so he's going to guilt us into coming to church. That's not what is happening here, okay? I'm simply presenting what the Word of God says about it, okay? Whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, I want to challenge you and, and, and beg you to be obedient to that. Okay, so whatever, whatever that is this morning... It may not even be, you may have heard something in one of those passages of scripture I read because we read a lot of scripture and scripture is powerful to do the work of God. The word of God will do the work of God. And so you may have heard something, you may have been convicted by something. Then that needs to be your response to the Lord this morning as we sing. However, however, you need to just, if you need to stop singing and bow and just pray to God, and maybe there's some sin you need to repent of. Maybe there's some commitment you need to make, some surrender to him in some area of your life. This is the time for that. You've heard the word of God proclaimed. Now we respond. So this is that time. If any of you want to talk about anything after service, I'll be around. We've got lots of other people. It doesn't have to be me. I, I like to say that. Because one of the things that I said just a little bit ago is we get to minister to one another. And so... Maybe you've got another friend, a brother or sister here, and you need to talk to them about something in your life. That's a good way to respond as well. However the Lord leads you this morning. But I'll be around afterwards as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time and your word. God, I pray that you would uh, just reinvigorate our um, commitment, our, our, our surrender, our humility to doing things your way and not our own way. God, I believe we want to follow you. Help us get out of ourselves and get out of the way. Help us get out of the way. And you just move in our hearts. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day that that message of the gospel of you dying in their place for their sins that I shared earlier, God, I pray that today would be the day they would repent of their sins and would believe the good news of the gospel. God, if there are those here who um, they're just feeling a conviction of sin, I pray you would bring them quickly to repentance for whatever that is in their life, where they've stepped away from what you've called them to do, that you would draw them back to you. We know there is grace. There's so much grace that we can run to you and find forgiveness and love. Just pray our rest of our worship through song would be sweet to your ear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's sing a couple more times together. I, uh, I changed something, Cal. These next songs, uh, I hope they take you back to a place that's a little more simple in your life. When you when you're excited, when you're excited about first hearing about Jesus and his plan for your life and how great he is, um, you'll understand what I plan. Would you be free from your burden of sin, his power in the blood? 
power in the blood Would you, O oh evil, a victory win This wonderful power in the blood There is power, power, wonder-working power In the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power In the precious blood of the Lamb I'll fly away, O oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. I hallelujah by and by fly away one more time I'll fly away oh glory I'll fly away when I die hallelujah by and by fly away I heard an old old story how a savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning and His precious blood atoned me And I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. One more. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, All fear is gone Because I know He holds the future Life is worth living Just because He lives Before I uh, play the last song, uh, there, there are two things that popped into my head. One, one was like very fresh in my mind last night, and one was today during church. Someone that I had sent a text to last night responded this morning, and it's, it's so, um, the timing was really crazy of this person and what we kind of chatted about. So last night when the the speaker of the conference was talking, um, I was in the back of the room. Again, there were 4,000 teenagers there. It was like overwhelming. Like you're trying to take it in and it's impossible. And I feel like last night that I, I got a glimpse, um, a glimpse of heaven. And that was because 
when when the speaker was was talking, uh, he's like, "What we're going to do now is you're going to have an opportunity. This this Jesus that we've been talking about, you have an opportunity to." have him in your life, to accept him as your savior, to turn your whole life around. And, and he had these points. He's like, and, and I have to tell you, like, it, it, it can be awkward because of the people you're around. Uh, it can be very like difficult. It can be uh, inconvenient sometimes to be a believer. And uh, you know what? It's forever is what he was saying. I'm like, this is so cool because it is difficult at times because you're like a fish swimming in the wrong direction in this world. Um, but he's like, and with every eye open, with every head looking up, and can we turn the lights up in the house? He's like, at least to 60%. I want people to see each other. I'm like, this is so backwards. I've never experienced this, but I love it. And he was like, again, following Jesus is not gonna be a cakewalk. It, there will be hard times, but I tell you every ounce of it is worth it. Like all this stuff, I'm like, yes tell them more, right? All this. And he was like, all right, so you know what we're going to do is like on the, on the count of three, you know, I was like, well, he is like, whatever. He's like, again, every eye open, everyone looking around, like all this stuff. And uh, he's like, okay, so, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, he's like, and these kids start standing. He's like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. He's like, what's your name? Whatever. And the, the kid was like, Jimmy, he's like, Jimmy, can I call you James? What? And I was like, this is so cool. He's like, did you hear what I said? It's going to be awkward sometimes. People are going to treat you differently when you go back to school on Monday. Uh, this is forever, Jimmy. Do you understand this? And I could hear him from, he's like, yes. He's like, you're sure you're okay with this? I'm like, this is seriously one of the coolest like presentations of like a realistic viewpoint of what following Jesus is like. And um, the whole time he had this, this table on his shoulder, like uh, the, the speaker, huge metal base, a pole, and then the top of the table. And he's like, when Jesus says, pick up your cross daily, and he had, he had it on his shoulder the whole time he spoke, right? Um, he's like, it's going to be awkward. It's going, I was like, yes. Anyway, he said, on the count of three, I want you to stand up. If you want everyone to see you, profess your face in, in Jesus and be held accountable. I'm like, yes. He was like, one, two, three. And half of these kids went straight. To, uh, and for a second, I'm like, that is incredible. And all I could imagine is angels rejoicing of these kids, you know, and it's on, it's on them. It's on, it's on them to like actually pursue this relationship when they leave this conference. I understand a lot of people are like, well, He's accepted Jesus 12 times at 12 conferences. I tell you what, there are seeds planted at each of those. I don't know. It's not between me and that kid. It's between him and Jesus. And it was so amazing because I, I, that's what I feel like. When those kids stood up, all of heaven went bonkers, right? I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Today, while I was sitting in the back, a person who, he's in a band. I've known him for a lot of years, even before he was in a band. And at one point he was following Jesus and uh, I know he's not now, but this morning he reaffirmed that. He is like, uh, I was just kind of responding to, I talked about his band last night to some kids at, a, at the show. And um, I was like talking about you, blah, 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 blah. And uh, uh, he sent me a video of what he and his family did yesterday. It looks like the zoo. I, I didn't open it because I didn't want to be that guy in the back of the room. It's like, elephants and stuff. Anyway, he's like, uh, that's my daughter in the video. I was like, I, I actually haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I'm, I'm in a, in a church service in, in, uh, in Illinois. And he was like, he's like, um, uh, what do you say? He's like kind of crazy that you're, you're texting an atheist while you're at a worship service. And I was like, I've talked to several atheists this week. I love hearing their heart, <laughs> you know? And so, um, he was like, well, hey man, go worship and I'll talk to you soon. We're like, it's so hard because this person, do they know what worship truly is? Because it would change them. It would change them. Being, being in a community like this would change them. And um, I don't know, like I, those, those kids last night had this opportunity to have Jesus come just 
rushing into their heart. And this person is like, I don't want Jesus in my heart. So if you can see how it makes you very torn when you're looking at the world. But if you can think back to when you didn't have an understanding of Jesus and how you felt and how lost you felt. And then once you came to a realization of Jesus of how complete you felt, that's what we should want for every person that is searching. Like, and that starts with being Jesus to these people, being kind to them, being available, listening to their heart. Even if you don't agree with their heart, listening, let them talk. That's all people want is to be heard. You don't have to agree with them. You don't. A lot of people steer clear of talking to someone. It's like, we don't see eye to eye. I'm like, okay, yeah. You think everyone saw eye to eye with Jesus? No. Thank you for letting me be here. Um, Be praying for a guy named Shane. That was who was texting me this morning. That'd be awesome. Um, This will be be my last song. And then uh, I'll shake hands, side hugs, stuff like that, whatever. Thanks again for letting me be here. Appreciate it. You give life 